You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Block Insider Bengals podcast. And there's really kind of just one thing to say, I guess, to start off the show. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 That about sums it up, right, John? Uh, I am displeased to be bringing this episode to all of you on the heels of some very bad news but i am anthony kazenza and i'm joined by john Sheeran. michael scott says it all right if i had a 40 i'd be pouring it out right now that's all i got to say <laughs> uh i could probably use a couple of those yeah uh I, I pretty unbelievable for those of you who don't know what we're talking about it did come out earlier on tuesday jonah yeah. williams appears uh, to be done for the year Based on uh, some reports, he's got a torn labrum, and he underwent surgery recently to repair that, and that is now where we're at with things. Um, We're going to talk about that from a lot of different angles, and then we're going to try and lighten up some things towards the end of the program. We were afraid that we didn't have much news to talk about this week, but uh, Jonah Williams- Be careful what you wish for. I know Jonah Williams, the Cincinnati Bengals, and Lady Fortune uh, provided us with uh, quite a bit of news to to discuss here. I, I do want to, for those who are joining us live, I do want to say thank you because we usually record our weekly show. We do some other things throughout the week. We usually record our weekly show on Wednesday. We had to do it Tuesday for uh, scheduling conflict reasons this week. And um, so I appreciate those of you who are turning, tuning in live for a little bit of a different day and time here. We will be doing listener questions uh, in a standalone episode at the end of the week on Friday. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. Um, and of course, you can get this program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. You, so you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. I think based on what I'm seeing, John, um, it appears as if perhaps our um, 
maybe our video issue has uh, resolved itself from last week. So hopefully that's not a, not a problem for the, the YouTube viewers, but let's talk about Jonah Williams, man. Um, what, I, I'm struggling to find where to start here. Um, you know, I, I think we were all pretty excited about the pick when it happened. Um, one of the pluses to the pick was the fact that he has shown immense durability at his time in, in Alabama. And of course he gets to Cincinnati doesn't even suit up for training camp, a preseason game or anything. And it appears the season is done before it even started. Yeah. It's an odd year. So this is the, um, this is the labor year. Uh, John Ross is 2017 had a torn labrum uh, derailed most of his off season derailed his rookie season. Jonah Williams, the torn labrum 2019, uh, the even years is actually the torn pectoral year because that was William Jackson's injury in 2016, Cobbs in the mist all the, that rookie year, and then torn pectoral derailed Billy Rice's offseason in 2018 last year. So we're going back and forth here between upper body injuries. Fortunately, no ACLs, fortunately, no Achilles, but you know, we're Bengals fans, so we only get so much luck. But uh, yeah, like w- what else are you supposed to say? Uh, like literally, I was we were on last week and I was talking about like injury regression is supposed to go both ways both positively and negatively Bengals don't have positive injury regression i don't know this is just the start of a snake bitten year again but not only is this unfortunate because it's another first round pick who's not going to see the field as his rookie year but this is an offensive lineman this is maybe one of their best offensive linemen that's just not going to be an asset for this year and now they're running it back with the same two offensive tackles last year one of which is still bobby hart and I don't, I, I don't, I don't know where they go from here because another big issue was not only just offensive line starters, but offensive line depth specifically at the tackle spot. So you have Cordy Glenn and Bobby Hart as your starters. Hopefully they stay healthy because if they go down, what the hell are they going to do? They don't have a backup tackle now. Like that was that was their three tackles. Their, their backup tackle now is either Kent Perkins or Trey Hopkins, which is just just no bueno in anywhere. Like in terms of just bookends, in terms of starting offensive tackles, the Bengals have a bottom five duo. And even in the NFL where it is today, where teams are struggling to find quality offensive tackles, that's an accurate statement. And Jonah Williams slightly boosted that. And even, even then, he was just a rookie, and you couldn't count on him to be above average, at least in his rookie year, because rookie offensive linemen t- typically struggle more than other positions. But this is, this is just bad all around, man. I, it's, just, it's, just hard to, it's just hard to soften the blow, I guess. Sure is. And, uh, you know, you look, at, you look at some things here, and... Um, I, I guess you go back to the draft, right? A lot of people were kind of saying, well, why don't you double dip a tackle? Why don't you, you know, because a lot of people didn't have the faith in Bobby Hart, like you mentioned, the depth it was an issue. You look at the top of the second round where the Bengals had, uh, I believe, the number 42 pick that they traded to Denver, but they could have done some things and moved up a few picks and guys like Jawan Taylor, uh, Greg Little from Ole Miss, Cody Ford from Oklahoma, and Dalton Reisner were all picked between picks 35 and 41. Again, reminder that the Bengals held pick 42. Now, they didn't necessarily need to go again in the second round to get a tackle. They could have waited and, and got, you know, maybe a th- another third or fourth round guy, but... Um, and, and, you know, it's impossible to foresee Jonah Williams, the pinnacle of durability in college, go down with this, with this injury, especially in low contact type of 
type of practices, not in a game scenario, that sort of thing. Um, so this, I don't know, man. Um, I guess they didn't provide enough insurance policy uh, for something like this to happen. Maybe, heck, maybe even if it happened to Bobby Hart, um, there wasn't really, I, I guess you could say, then you swing Cordy Glenn back over to left tackle and then you, you move Jonah Williams to right. But I mean, there are arguments to be made that they really didn't beef up enough at tackle. Um, and you know, we talked about on a recent episode, the fact that they're, they're really heavy on interior offensive linemen, not so much a tackle. Look, now you got, you still got Clint Bowling who sat out all spring and, and early part of summer, you're down Jonah Williams. And I guess we should have seen the, the writing on the wall with Williams because they brought in John Jerry. they he sat out, they were so mum on the thing and, and, you know, didn't, didn't do anything on it for a little bit. I I don't know. I I guess I just, um, I wish they were a little more proactive on the offensive line. I obviously wish that this didn't happen. And uh, they've got now they, they told Cordy Glenn, Hey, you're going to be a guard, man. Uh, (laughs) And now guess what? Oh, by the way, we're going to, we're going to be crawling back on our hands and knees to you to ask you to play left tackle for us once again. Um, All of this is just a mess. It's an absolute mess. The one thing that I am severely concerned about when it comes to the Bengals, and I don't know what you want to chalk this up to. This is another thing we talked about on a recent episode, John, but now it's becoming more abundantly clear. The first round picks, with the exception of Kevin Zeitler in 2012, but the first round picks from 2012, remember they had two that year. One of them was Dre Kirkpatrick. From 2012 until this year, the first round picks that that this team has had, every single guy has had an injury issue somewhat significant to very significant very early in their career, meaning year one, year two, maybe both. That's concerning. I just go back to something that I said on draft night when they drafted Jonah. And it's like, it was a great pick, but it doesn't excuse giving Bobby Hart a starting contract because at the end of the day, they only solved one of the, one of the, one of the tackle problems. They could have went out and gotten a competent right tackle in free agency. Someone who was similarly paid to Bobby, to Bobby Hart. I, I go back to Ty Naseki all the time, just thinking about it. And that, that, that could have been a definite help with, with them. That could have done more to address the issue at both tackle spots. Because if you, if you have Jonah Williams, bringing in that's the only guy that you're bringing in the only um positive change that you make to the group it may it may not be enough and unfortunately he got injured and that's and it was either him getting injured or him not being good in his rookie year those are the only two uh, avenues of of just that not being enough for for them to solve the issue so now they have again they're they're going back to what they had last year and yeah they they addressed the right guards spot with john miller over alex redmond who should be should be an upgrade provided he stays healthy but again it's just it's just not enough and like you said you know, them sitting on their hands and just kind of addressing needs to, to the lowest common denominator or just barely doing the, the, the bare minimum to address these needs, it, it bites them in the butt if, if, unfortunately, bad luck happens. And with first-round picks, bad luck happens to them more times than good luck. And then then you look at the second round when they could have double-dipped. There, there was rumors about them trading for one of those mm-hmm. offensive tackles yeah. in, in the top ten. And 
unfortunately, they decided to trade up for a quarterback who apparently can't complete complete a pass against seven on seven in Ryan Finley. So right now they need the the first month after the draft they were focused on positive Drew Sample PR. They got to switch all that attention to, to to solid Ryan Finley PR and solid you know Bobby Hart and, and Corey Glenn PR because right now they're backpedaling ridiculously fast. I don't know if Jeff Hopkins can spin can spin this in the way where the fan base doesn't completely derail on its heels. God bless Jeff Hobson, man. Uh, I I don't I, he I, I love the guy. I've talked to him a bunch. And by the way, I'm trying to get him on this show, so hopefully we'll get him on the show sometime soon. Um, I've talked to him in other incarnations of the podcast and everything. And uh, great guy. I don't envy his job sometimes, man, um, because Bengals fans are rabid. They are for cynical. They're pissed off, for lack of better words. Uh, often because this more, stuff always more, happens. Right. More often than not, because of this. And if you read the article that Jeff Hobson put out, uh, you know, the guy, God bless him, uh, you know, talked about how he, he starts it with the New England Patriots and how they lost an offensive lineman that they highly valued and all of this. And... Um, you know, the Super Bowl champion Patriots. Uh, I, I just, I, I get it. And uh, he's got to try and make, uh, you know, sunshine out of out of turds. But, um, you know, I, I, I just, I don't see, I don't see this team because of a variety of reasons rebounding from an injury like this, as well as the Patriots, um, you know, and, and it's a shame because a, a week ago, two weeks ago, we were talking about the positive vibes that just started coming up for the Cincinnati Bengals. And now this hits, you talked about some other things, John, that I, I, and this is kind of the question I want to ask you, you know, you kind of talked about a lack of, I guess, urgency, or I don't know the, the exact phrasing you want to use, but a lack of, um, contingency plans, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, is this, it, we're all looking to kind of blame somebody, um, you know, whether it's just, oh man, this team is just cursed or bad luck, whether it's the medical training staff, whether it's uh, the team in either not bringing in enough talent and, and really going all in to acquire more talent or acquiring the wrong talent in terms of getting these guys that are injured. I'm telling you, man, Drake Kirkpatrick, a lot of injury issues early in his career has since subsided and he's made a pretty decent career out of, out of himself. Tyler Eifert. We know the deal there, right? Darquez Denard early in his career, a lot of different stuff. Cedric Abwehi was injured when they drafted him. William Jackson lost for the year, right? I mean, you go John Ross, you go Billy Price last year. I mean, so where do you place the blame or is it just kind of all of those things? Here's the angle I'll take with this because it's just hard to just to blame the training staff when none of us have any idea what the hell they, they do what what goes on in that process and you know it's it, there's it's an easy target for us to, to to place but at the end of the day we just don't know crap. He, he, here's here's my thing. I think when you go into every year and you basically establish a modus operandum of attacking need in the first round and then hoping to rely on those first round players to play positions of of important need. And sometimes it's positions where there's not a lot of depth and you have this unfortunate history of not being able to rely on your first rounders due to health issues. That's a problem. And it, and it should be a wake up call in terms of free agency and saying, hey, maybe we should attack some more needs in free agency with, with some with some actual talent there. So we don't have to go into late April 
and focus the first couple picks on dire needs where we need guys to contribute early because, like you said, it's just impossible for them to count on their first round picks early, even in just unfortunate, unpredictable circumstances. But at the end of the day, if this doesn't, you know, help them realize that they need to take a more aggressive approach in free agency so they can take a more relaxed approach in the draft, I don't know what will because because now they're just they're in a a pretty bad situation. One of the worst situations that they could have had coming out of June, going into July, into July again, no tackle depth, no no secondary option. Free agency is well over. All the good options are basically gone there. They're stuck. They're stuck with what they have, and what they have is just it's just nothing good. So th- this has to be a wake up call in that regard. But if if you want to place any blame with anywhere with something as unfortunate as this, I think it has. It's just more of a just a cultural and and just a process thing than anything. Good news, John. Marshall Newhouse is still available. So uh, I thought you said good news. <laughs> um, Andre Smith is still available. Um, so if they want to go back into that well, uh, they could do that. But I mean, you know, you look at some of the uh, the free agent guys in that got money in the. It was a, it was a weak, um, pretty weak tackle market for free agents. Um, I mean, you did get a, a Cam Fleming. Uh, out there, a Jawan James uh, was floating out there, and then of course Trent Brown, um, you know, went, went from New England and signed a huge deal in Oakland. I mean, these are the guys that are out there. Daryl Williams, one-year deal. Um, so, and of course, of in, in terms of total money, that at least from what I'm looking at on Spotrack here, uh, Bobby Hart is is third on that list of tackles that uh, in free agency that got money. So he's, he's getting the ninth most total cash this year. And some yep. people thought it was going to be a backup. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame. And uh, Jonah Williams seemed like one of the guys that was a surefire pick for this team. Maybe, maybe he would never be an all pro a hall of fame guy, but a guy that would probably be a, a solid football player for a long time and probably still can be that. But this puts a major wrench in the works for what the Bengals are attempting to do and 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 in their attempt to be competitive right away. How how big of a hit? I mean, if you and we'll, we could talk about this on another episode in terms of wins and losses prediction and all that kind of stuff. We'll we'll do that kind of stuff as we get closer to training camp, but I mean, how how big of a hit does this make for the offense and the Bengals going on in this year. I mean, some people, I guess the optimist would kind of say, well, he was a rookie and sometimes rookies have growing pain. So they may have to go through that. But I mean, as it stood, he was probably their most or second, third most talented offensive lineman that they have on the roster. So easily. Yeah. I mean, it's a big, it's a big loss. And I I guess, how do you, how do you see the Bengals recuperating from this? Like, this offense that that Taylor wanted to implement wasn't going to work if they didn't have an offensive line that was somewhat re- relatively comparable in terms of talent to the Rams, and they weren't going to emulate the Rams completely because the offensive lines, even at full health, are on two different levels. But e- even with you know Williams going through inevitable struggles, you know because it's, it's so rare to see an offensive lineman come in and light up the NFL, 
he was still one of their two or three best. I would come to say two best offensive linemen that, that they have. And now they're not going to have him. And then, then you put Cordy Glenn back at left tackle where he wasn't that, that sharp as a zone blocker last year at that position. Who knows who they're going to have at left guard now, because we still haven't heard any positive news with Clint Bowling. We don't know what his future is. You know, there's news that Christian Westerman is going to have the first chance there. There's news that John Jerry could overtake the starting spot. He was on his couch a couple weeks ago. So now you have, you've downgraded in two spots on the two, on the two side, on the two spots where you've, would presumably have been more comfortable with any other spots on the offensive line. You still have, you still have Billy Price. You're hoping is going to progress from a struggle, a struggle year one. You have John Miller, who's basically a cast off from Buffalo, but again, it's still an upgrade from what you had before. And then you have Bobby Hart again, like this offensive line, you, you can't place it anywhere near at least the, even the middle of the road rankings in terms of the o- o- overall offensive line talent in the NFL. And when you have a quarterback that doesn't do well without a good offensive line, and when you're trying to run an offense that requires, you know, offensive linemen to win always at the first level, it's just going to be hard to, to, to over, to overcome. And, and, and again, even if Williams was rookie, he was going to be a damn talented one. And it's unfortunate that this is happening. I want to say this, John, and this goes back a little bit to what you were saying about, and it applies to a, a comment in the live YouTube chat from Sam Turner, the second, when you don't prepare, things go wrong. Tobin is to blame. I don't know if I fully agree with the second part, but I, I think there, that's there's an element there in terms of the talent you bring in and the guys you bring in and the fact that these first-round picks keep getting injured in such a major way. But uh, you know, man, um, it's it's – I, I, there's a text that we just got, you know, it's, you know, can you find a silver lining? I mean, I, I guess it's, we, we don't have to make this into a positive. Like uh, not, it's a, not, not. Every, not every, not everything can be spent, can be spun into a positive. This right. is bad news. This is completely bad news. Right. This, this doesn't, this doesn't give Cordy Glenn a chance to redeem himself left tackle. He was already a decent one. He can be a little bit better. This doesn't bode well for him. It, it, lo- it loses a positive contributor on an offensive line. That was already a weak unit. There, there's nothing good about it. Uh, now for, for Williams, as unfortunate as, as he, as it is for him, he can come back stronger next year and he can hopefully develop into a more complete player with, with, with you know, with some more strength and development, whatever, but not having these reps in his rookie year is, is going to be a detriment to him. Not everyone can come in like William Jackson missed their entire rookie year and then light the league on fire, especially for an offensive lineman. So again, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough road for him coming back, but hopefully, you know, he's the type of player that will dedicate, you know, fully to the recovery process, dedicated himself fully to learning the offense, even when watching on the sideline. But Again, for, for what's going to be out on the field, there's, there's nothing that can be spun into anything but a negative right I'm, now. Exactly. And I, I'm going to say this, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll move on in just a minute here, for, <laughs> try and get something a little bit more more positive to talk about. But I'm going to say this, John, and I've been, I guess I've been harping on this like a broken record for a while on this show. But when you, as a team, put your eggs in the basket of if we're healthy, if we're healthy, if we're healthy, this is the type of stuff that when you're not healthy or when you lose a key guy that you were relying on to be healthy, to be successful, it, you just, it's not a sound plan. Um, and it's, it's a sound plan to an extent, but you need to be prepared to lose some of these guys. Um, I don't know that the Bengals are fully prepared for that. Uh, for this loss. Uh, I, I think they could prepare to be, to lose a Cordy Glenn. I think they could prepare to lose pretty much anybody on, the, on that offensive line, except for this player. So um, that's, 
that's the issue with this team feeding its fans. If we're healthy, look out. If we're healthy, look out. It doesn't happen for a lot of teams. And if it does, there are still some major people that are usually on injured reserve, pup list, what have you. And that's where I think is the is one of the biggest crimes, aside from bad luck for Jonah Williams. I think that's one of the biggest crimes in this whole thing. Yeah, the lack of self-awareness is key because, you know, like you said, it doesn't happen for a lot of teams, but it never happens for the Bengals. Yep. Well, uh, before we move on, John, do you have a do you have a prediction as to the uh, as we sit here today, the five starting linemen? Um, I mean, we don't know what's going on with Clint Bowling. We now sort of know what's going on with Jonah Williams. Um, do you have a prediction in terms of who the starting five offensive linemen for the Bengals going into Week One of the regular season? Well, there could be five other injuries on that group from now until the <laughs> training camp. So I'm going to hold off from that. But yeah, I, no, I think. I think Glenn's going to be at left tackle. I, I obviously Price is center. Um, I really hope it's not John Jerry. Just just anybody besides John Jerry or Alex Redmond at, at left guard. Just make it bowling. Make it Westerman. Just put put the best players out there and just just try to just try to roll with it. Just try to do what you can. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think you're right. I think it's going to be. Uh, Cordy Glenn, I think, I think Clint Bowling will come back. I think if he needed surgery, that probably would have been done. Cause he's been injured. He's been, you know, kind of sitting out longer than Jonah Williams was. So, um, you know, I think Clint Bowling will be there. And I think now his roster spot is probably secure because of uh, an eventual move to IR for Jonah Williams. So I think it's Cordy Glenn going left, right, Cordy Glenn, Clint Bowling, Billy Price, John Miller, and then Bobby Hart. I think that's probably the, the starting five. Mr. Sinister in the live YouTube chat did note that the Bengals could look for a final cut offensive tackle somewhere out there. That's very possible. That is a hot commodity of a position, though, so I wouldn't expect, you know, long Anybody good. Term. Well, yeah. I mean, you may get someone serviceable at best, um, you may get someone who's on the downside of their career that you can get for a cheap deal and, or, or get them on waivers and, and use them for, you know, a year or two. But for the most part, um, that's just a, a Band-Aid on an open wound. And, uh, you know, I, I don't I don't know. It, it's it would be something, but it's not it's not comparable to the loss of Williams, at least for what they had apparently had their eyes set for him in terms of a role in 2019. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. We're talking about the loss of Jonah Williams, and we'll be talking about uh, – we'll be playing a little fun game in just a second here, but we appreciate uh, you tuning in. We appreciate you subscribing to the program. We appreciate especially the live listeners this week because this program was rescheduled to a a little bit of a different time, and uh, we appreciate that. We will also, for those wondering, be doing a stand-alone listener question show later this week. We talked about doing it last week, but uh, there wasn't much to talk about. Now there's a lot to talk about. Uh, and uh, so we'll be doing that Friday. Uh, right now we have a plan for Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. So uh, we'll be we'll be taking questions via cincyjungle.com, our live YouTube chat, our, our phone, our, our phone line, all that good stuff. So So join us for that. Either way, you can get the program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone, YouTube, and CincyJungle.com. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. John, it's trying to time to lighten the mood a little bit, I guess here, uh, or at least try to. Um, depending on what age you were when you played the game, would you rather? Um, <laughs> it, it could uh, it could be a little more innocent or or goofy. It could be a little bit more risque, I guess. But um, we're not going to go the risque route. We're gonna we're gonna do a little something about the Bengals coaches in terms of the would you rather type of game. And I had this thought recently because you know Marvin Lewis in the background has been chattering about he doesn't see a return to the NFL. He does is not going to pay attention to the Bengals. Yada yada yada. Um, there has been up until. Tuesday of this week, there had been uh, a lot of positive chatter about Zach Taylor, what he's bringing to the team, what he's the energy he's bringing, his style of coaching, the coaches he brought with him. All of that has been kind of positive. Now, you look at it and you say, well, you know, what what would have been, I guess, what would have been the better the, the better thing for the Bengals to do? Move on right away from Marvin Lewis if they had it between these two choices. Move on from Marvin Lewis after the 2015 wildcard game and get a new hood coach in 2016. Or are they on the better track now in 2019 with a completely unknown first-time head coach, a guy who is younger than me, um, and brought in a staff with a lot of first-time guys, young guys, unproven, and uh, is looking to emerge from the shadow of Sean McVay. Now, I want to put it in the context of this, this question in in this context, John, and this is what's beautiful about hindsight, is you look at some of the names. I think there were seven coaching coaching moves in 2016, the 2016 offseason, when this would have taken place. And there are names like Dirk Cutter. There are names like uh, McAdoo from from the Giants. Uh, There are names like uh, Chip Kelly to the 49ers. Uh, I mean, the... The uh, Adam Gase went to the Dolphins, I believe, that year. So, you know, there there are a lot of names that really aren't already with the team that they had signed with at that point. I guess what we got, there's a lot of factors you got away, but at first blush, would, would either one of those guys, you think, have the ability to mold some of the talent that the Bengals currently have in a better way, a more successful way, and now you would be in a year three of a rebuild under one of these coaches? Or was it just, you know, wait till this young guy is, is emerges as a hot commodity? Well, with every one of those names that you mentioned, there was a Doug Peterson who was that's right. hire that, that year. So that's, that's kind of the, the reality with, you know, new coaching hires. Most of them don't really work out. And that's why, you know, job security in the NFL is, is so, is so fragile, at least with 31 other franchises. But I'm going to say 2015, just because 
right off the bat, like that's when like Marvin absolutely should have been fired for for how that season ended and how that playoff game specifically ended and, and how the conduct of his players kind of completely derailed right in front of his eyes. Um, you, you mentioned fire him right away when that was like the third time he probably should have gotten fired in, in his right. time here. And he eventually got fired on the, on the fourth time he, he on the fourth time he actually ended up getting fired. But for a couple of reasons, Num- number one, specifically with Andy Dalton, I pres- I prescribed to the the fact that, you know, if, if the first five years of a quarterback and head coach marriage doesn't really work out specifically for teams that haven't really had success in the past, it's probably at best to, to get rid of one of the two. And at that time, Andy Dalton was coming off his best year. He was still, I think, 27, 28 years old. So he was still on the upswing of his career. And I think getting him a new coach, maybe more offensive minded coach like Zach Taylor, like, like he has now, would have been great for him. So he wouldn't have regressed back into 2016, 2017, coming back from 2015. And I think they could have gotten him going, continue going upwards instead of downwards. And you're probably thinking, okay, well, the supporting cast was still diminished after 2015. But that's another thing. I think if you brought in a new staff to either A, get the most out of some of that talent, or B, you know, come in with, with a refreshed approach of, of team building and potentially keeping guys like maybe Marvin Jones or keeping a guy like Andrew Woolworth or Kevin Zyler the year after that. So there might've been fresh mindsets with that. So the complete roster turnover regression wasn't could maybe wasn't um, as monumental as it was under Marvin Lewis. And another thing I think uh, 2014, 2015 specifically come to mind in terms of draft classes and how poor, poor and horrid they were in terms of who's on the team now. And I think if you bring in a new head coach in 2016, and then they have fresh eyes looking at guys like Russell Bodine and you know Will Clark and Cedric Boyhee and Jake Fisher, and you have guys that never, and you have a coaching staff that didn't invest in them and initially didn't draft them. And you're thinking, okay, naturally they're not going to be handcuffed to these guys, and they're not going to give them every single chance to prove that they're worth something. So maybe we would have seen some of those starters and role players, you know, cut off the team a lot sooner than they were under Marvin Lewis because again, that, that wasn't the, the head coach to draft them. So I think. You know, obviously, we don't know what Zach Taylor is right now. We, we hasn't coached the game yet, and I would like for this to be the right decision going forward. But just looking at all that, all of that that would have supported, you know, a new staff coming in, even if it wasn't, even if it was, would be a great staff. You know, looking back at it in 2019, you know, just making that change then, and hopefully pro- pro- progressing for some positive changes for what the roster was at that moment. I think that that would have helped them avoid winning 19 games in the following three seasons. And if it was like an Adam Gase staff, hopefully they would have been off, you know, would have been fired this year and then we would have been back to square one. But even even if that happened, that, that would have at least indicted some progressive positive change that we didn't see under Marvin Lewis in the last three years. Yeah, there's not really a wrong answer here um, in terms of what you could choose. It's just, I guess, a matter of, a little matter of preference. I mean, you make all the right points. And I think at the time it it would have made the most sense for Marvin Lewis to be gone that year. But I do see, especially with this team and the fact that they're, this is a very slow moving franchise in terms of change, in terms of, you know, make it coaching turnover, all that kind of stuff. And I think it needed to take the subsequent stale hangover ridden, seasons to finally say, you know what? Things got to change. We got to go in a completely different direction. We got to get younger. We got to get more innovative. And, um, you know, I, I think, by the way, one of the guys that was available and got a job at the 2016 off season was Hugh Jackson, 
Um, <laughs> so uh, who knows? My thing is, and I, I was actually a big proponent of Marvin Lewis being let go after that game because you saw that he did not have control of what happened in that game. He did not have control of his players. Um, you know, and even though he was on the precipice of, of having one of the biggest wins in franchise history, um, you know, the, the fallout from that was immense. And uh, the team has not recovered since. It has not recovered on multiple levels, both, in, like you said, losing, losing free agents, valuable free agents over the next year or two, just a stale atmosphere, a you could tell they just weren't their hearts were not in it as much as it ha they had been. And they just never really recovered emotionally from this, from that debacle. Um, but I, you know, as weird as it may seem, I think it took, if there was a move from Marvin in 2016, I think it would have been someone very similar to him in terms of a coach they brought in, whether that is a Hugh Jackson that they transitioned to, whether that is someone from the Marvin Lewis coaching tree, whether that is an internal hire that was on his staff, whatever. Um, I, I think that it would have been very, a little more closely tied to Marvin Lewis if they got rid of him then. And I think that would have done a major disservice for this team because as it is now, I think that the right move is to go with someone that is really the complete opposite and who is coming fresh off of a Super Bowl appearance in Zach Taylor. So, um, and I think it took them, I think they probably said, you know what? We were really close. Let's give him another year to see if, you know, he can, he can get us back. And then, you know, it kind of just, kept unfolding into, you know, unfortunate injuries. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that excuse. Um, all kinds of stuff. And then it, it just got to a point where it's like, yeah, we can't, we can't do this anymore. We, 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 our players can't do it anymore. We can't do it anymore. It stinks to go through those subsequent three years after that playoff loss. And they didn't, they did not redeem themselves in any way, not even by getting back to the playoffs. They didn't redeem, they didn't redeem themselves, but I think it took those three stale. I don't want to necessarily call them miserable, but they weren't very fun seasons um, to at least to watch or to cover from a new standpoint. Um, I think it took the, the team going through that to make this change. Now, whether or not Zach Taylor is quote unquote, the guy, I, nobody knows, but it's looking positive. And uh, it seems to be a much different feel around camp, at least by reports and what players are saying. So that's why I would say maybe now and Zach Taylor was the better route as opposed to maybe, you know, you mentioned Doug Peterson, maybe even a guy like that who, you know, maybe could have had immediate success with the Bengals or could have gone the way of a Ben McAdoo. Yeah. And uh, I, there's, I think there's something – in like science or like quantum physics where it's like you can alter the timeline whatever you want but eventually things will converge onto the same like point and this some things are just inevitable and just will eventually happen so i'm thinking about like what if the Bengals had hired hugh jackson in 2016 he never goes to cleveland cleveland still needs a head coach cleveland hires D doug peterson the browns have the second overall pick Doug Peterson takes Carson Wentz. So the Browns have Carson Wentz as their quarterback. Doug Peterson's his coach. Presumably he ends up pretty similar to who he is in Philadelphia. I'm a, I'm a believer that 
a big proponent into what got Marvin Lewis fired was the fact that Mike Brown saw with his own eyes that the Browns had become the superior team and franchise over the Bengals, and as evidenced by sweeping them in Marvin Lewis's last year, um, the, the state of both franchises and where, and where they are and, and where they're going. And that was just a, a big tipping point, not only the fact that the Bengals got stale, like you mentioned, but the fact that they were overpassed by the team that Brown hated the most. So if, if Hugh Jackson is here, presumably, let's just say he doesn't do that, that good of a job because he didn't do it in Cleveland. And then Cleveland progresses to this, to this point where they are even faster with a guy like Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Maybe Hugh Jackson ends up getting fired with the Bengals after only three years. And you're thinking, okay, if, if any coach is hired by the Bengals, he's probably getting, you know, you know, He's probably ha- having the job for a, a longer time compared to other coaches who just get hired. But if that if that happens, I think we're, we would eventually be back to where we are right now. And, and that's after three years of the Hugh Jackson experience, having Cleveland become what, what, what they are. We may have hit, even been back to, back to square one, which is Zach Taylor again. So it, it, if, if the, the hire back in 2016 that never happened didn't end up going so well, I think that was something that pretty much had to have happened for us to get back to, to, to here because – as we know, drastic things need to happen for the Bengals to eventually change their ways and, and deviate from from their norm. And I think that would have been something so drastic that it, it might have gotten us back to, you know, Zach Taylor is inevitable. He is Thanos, I guess. <laughs> he is Thanos. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, gosh, I played a, a, a clip from The Office to begin the show. Should I should I play the Back to the Future theme? I mean, you're talking about time <laughs> time skews and, and all kinds of stuff. Um, I. Look, like I said, there's not really a wrong answer here, in my opinion. I think it's just the right answer is Marvin should, Lewis should have been fired. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, in in one in one one way or the other, yes, yes. Um, but you know, it, it didn't happen after that wild card game. I, I think a lot of people felt I, I see there was someone in the live YouTube chat, uh Matthew Wayne Smith, I think it was, said they should have moved on after the wild card game. Um Jason Von Stein says, I don't think Marvin Lewis was fired. I think he quit. I think he wanted to quit the year before, but Mike Brown begged him to come back and coach. It's possible. I, I think uh, I think there's a mixture in that opinion. I think probably Marvin was burned out. I think he was actually burned out after that wild card loss, but um, I think they, they wanted him back at least for 2016. And then, you know, I, th- I think this thing was kind of a mutual thing, maybe a little bit more on the Bengals side, and that's why you're – you're kind of hearing a little bit of a saltiness from, from Marvin, but um, may, Hey, maybe it was one of those things to save face that they didn't actually fire him, fire him. They just didn't re up his contract. Um, so what, wh- however you want to look at it, but yes, I, I think Marvin deserved to be fired after that 2015 wildcard that if not before that, but I also think that it pro- the, the three previous seasons finally prompted the Bengals to go a completely different direction, which I don't think they would have gone in 2015. Any, any random thoughts or any other thoughts on this topic, John, in, in terms of would you rather, uh, this would have been a more fun game if we had probably an adult beverage in front of us, but uh, <laughs> I, I do not sadly. Uh, but I don't know any, any other thoughts or inklings, in terms of the Bengals and coaching changes either in 2015 or 2019? Uh, like, I, I still think back to like, just like 2010 and how differently things would have been had, you know, Marvin actually gotten fired after that, which is like the first time when you, when you should have been. And, you know, 
j- just how they handled the beginning of, of that off season, you know, with like the most uninspiring press conference of all time, but then going to April and drafting, you know, Dalton green and, and bowling all in one draft, which was hella impressive. So like at the end of the day, like everything balances out with them. They, they ended up, you know, compensating for a lot of their stupid decisions with just blind luck. But uh, un- unfortunately, like, like we said, it just takes them to really get kicked in behind it for, for them to actually get a move forward. Yep. Uh, but the Bengals apparently have their guy now for, for better, for worse, and for the foreseeable future. So um, they finally made the move. It's Zach Taylor. And, uh, you know, whether or not you, th- you think that – and the other thing is, you know, if you are a big Zach Taylor guy, he probably would not have been on and was not on anyone's radar uh, as a head coaching candidate three four years ago. So, um, you know, if maybe that will help sway your opinion if you are of the – Zach Taylor fanboy type of <laughs> ilk. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We've uh, had a little fun. We've cried some metaphorical, not literal tears, but we've we've shed a few tears oh. for for, <laughs> for Jonah Williams on this episode. You can get our program on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on Megaphone as well as YouTube and on Cincy Jungle. We will be doing, for those who are tuning in earlier in the week, we will be doing a listener question show on uh, this Friday coming up here at 4 p.m. Eastern. So join us, submit your questions. You can get to us on on our, uh, you can call or text us. You can still call or text us throughout the week. Um, and either leave a voicemail or text. Uh, Otherwise, you can call or text us to try and get on the air that day. We'll also be scouring the Cincy Jungle comment thread board, so you can leave your your questions there. You can tweet us at BengalsOBI to submit your questions, and uh, we look forward to talking to you a little bit later in the week. John, any other final thoughts before we get out of here? This episode kind of flew by. Um, It's what happens when you rant and vent, right? Yeah, well... This this week had a couple important birthdays um, for me at least. Uh, yesterday on Monday the twenty fourth, Dave Lapham turned turned sixty seven, and I, I really honestly didn't know he was that old because he just sounds like a six year old kid up in the radio booth, just having the time of his life. Honestly, Dave Lapham is is one of the joys of being a Bengals fan because you know a lot of teams have a lot of those energetic analysts, but. With all the excitement that Lapham brings, you know, when you're listening on the radio, because sometimes I end up just like putting that radio feed with him and Horde like over like the TV, unless it's like Tony Romo or something like that. But, you know, between all that, there is actually a a lot of, you know, great analysis that goes on with him. And he's honestly better at explaining the game than than most of the guys who end up on TV. So definitely appreciate all all that Lap does. Happy 20, happy 67 to him. And today on the 25th, it would have been my papa, which, which is Italian for grandma. Italian for grandpa would have been his 92nd birthday today. A couple of interesting facts about him. He was born in 1927, about 10 miles outside Pittsburgh. And he, according to legend, I don't know if this is true or not, but he was the first water boy for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So obviously Mm. he grew up a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan. He ended up moving to Northeast Ohio where where my mom was born. They ended up moving down to Cincinnati back in like, I think the the mid seventies, but he he maintained his roots as a Steelers fan. So he lived in Cincinnati during the prime of of that dynasty. And, you know, I was born in like the mid nineties, right? Right. When they, uh, I think lost to the, to the Cowboys and whatever Super Bowl that was. And when I was like three or four, there is, there is a picture of me out there with a Steelers sweater on. 
I don't. I think my mom has mm. hidden that from me in, in case I like burned it or like shredded or something like that. But I, w- I was pretty close to being a to being a Steelers fan because because of him. But he turns ninety two today, and I'm I, I still think about you, man. Well, my favorite favorite Steeler fan I ever knew. Okay, well that's that's a good Steeler fan. Um, I, I, I gotta be honest with you, John, I'm not wild about the idea of, of baby, baby John Sheeran in, in Steelers gear, but he, did, he didn't have a choice um, since it came, since it came from the grandpa. We'll, we'll let it slide. Is your, is your mom's side of the family Italian? Yes. She is hundred percent Italian. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, just look at my <laughs> name and you'll know I'm Italian. So, uh, cool, man. Uh, I, I don't have any cool stories. I mean, like that, at least not this week. Uh, I'm trying to process a lot of different things, including this injury news uh, w- with Jonah Williams. It's pretty unbelievable. I think we're all still kind of in shock, really, as we took the air today. This is this news is just a couple of hours old. Uh, I mean, there's yeah. some people in, in the live YouTube chat that said, what's going on with Jonah Williams? They didn't even know. So um, we hate to be the bearer of bad news, but... Uh, it's out there. It doesn't seem very good, at least for the immediate future for the Bengals first round pick. Hopefully they can rebound. Well, hopefully they can play at a high level and figure something out on the offensive line. Hopefully they brought in some of these new guys. Maybe they can come in and and do some things along the line and contribute right away, but uh, it's going to be difficult to going to be difficult to uh, replace what Jonah Williams was potentially going to give them. Anyway, we'll see you later this week. For the listener question show, this has been the Orange and Black Insider. For John Sharon, I'm Anthony Cazenza. We'll see you next time. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's hubspot visit hubspot.com to get started today